Okay, let me introduce you to some friends of mine, uh, Dan and Sophie Plagerson, who are not just friends of mine, but they're also uh, have recently joined our church family. And Dan will be joining our staff team in the coming weeks. And um, hopefully that means you'll have plenty of opportunity to get to know Dan and Sophie and the whole family in the months to come. But we wanted to take this opportunity just to ask them a few questions today to help you guys get to know them a little bit. So the first question I had for you is, what brings you here to Amsterdam? Well, firstly, I want to say is that we are really excited to be here, and thanks for having us. Um, Soph will tell you how we managed to break out of the South African lockdown shortly, but actually our being here if it's, is the culmination of 18 months of prayer and discussion. We were in Johannesburg, we were leading a church there, pastoring a church there for about a decade, and we'd begun to sense a couple of years ago that God was uprooting us and had another adventure. And in the middle of that, Matt uh, reached out and began to share with me what was happening at Liberty Church, and I began to, uh, we began to pray and discuss and, and wonder if maybe God was bringing us here. I got to visit last August, some of you may remember that, and just was so strongly impacted by the sense that God is doing things in Amsterdam and through Liberty Church. And we felt very much that we, we wanted to be part of that. So we're thrilled to be here um, and excited as to what God has got for us in the coming days and weeks. And you've had a bit of an exciting and dramatic arrival here. So, Sophie, do you want to just tell us about the last few weeks and months and how you got here? Sure. Um, so, we've had quite a strict lockdown in South Africa, which has been good, um, but also it meant that um, we had four flights cancelled consecutively. Uh, there was no international travel. Um, last Wednesday, we got a call from the Dutch embassy saying they had some spaces on the last, their last flight, leaving Johannesburg. And so on Sunday morning, we went to the Dutch embassy in Pretoria at 6 o'clock, and um, with 12 coaches, we all drove to the airport. We were the only flight leaving um, a closed airport, and we arrived here first thing Monday morning on King's Day. Excellent. And um, what... What, what are you guys passionate about? What, what do you kind of wake up in the morning ready to take on the world with? So it's a big, big question. In the context of church, I'd say I, I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about his church. I'm passionate about raising leaders. I'm passionate about taking the Bible, an ancient book, and making it relevant in a modern society. Outside of that, very passionate about my wife and my kids. Uh, we have four of them. Uh, they have nice names, and they are aged between six and 11 now. Uh, and there's twins in the middle of nine. And they're a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoy mountain biking. I haven't seen too many mountains around here, but I have seen a lot of bikes. I also enjoy cheese, and we have experienced some excellent cheese. Um, we love adventure as a family, and um, we 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 love church. And um, I'm passionate about as Christians that we get to live out 
um, our faith in the workplace and also in creating a society that's socially just and that reaches out to the poor and marginalized. Um, I work in academia, I love books and I love research and um, yeah, that's it. And what are you guys excited about in the short term, in the first few weeks or so of your arrival here? What do you, what's, uh, what's on your plate? So we've been busy house hunting and as well as exploring the city. The two go well together and uh, we've enjoyed that. We're, enjoy we're looking forward. We do really feel like God's brought us here. And so a sense of starting to discover what God has for us, um, what area he wants us to live in, who he wants us to meet and reach out to, and in time meeting um, people here in the, in the church community. It's really fun for me uh, and probably so to be back in Europe, we had our kids in Africa and they've had an African adventure and seeing Europe through their eyes has been a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So seeing all the different buildings, so many different designs of bicycle, so many different kinds of cheese. It feels like there's a lot to uh, introduce them to and mm -hmm. it feels like Dutch, uh, at the, it feels like Amsterdam is just a, a rich place in terms of creativity and design and culture. Uh, and, and we're sorry that so much is closed at the moment, but we will be at every museum uh, as long as the kids are okay with that shortly. We're excited about the kids going back to school and uh, we've all started learning a bit of Dutch. Excellent. Good work. Well, we're really thrilled that you guys have made it here and uh, it's, been, it's been a joy over the last uh, year or so just beginning to get to know you. We knew each other a little from years gone by, but it's been great to get to know you guys a little bit more. And we're really excited about um, the role God has for you to play in our church family. So welcome. And uh, we're Thanks excited about the months and years ahead. Thanks so much. Us too. Hello again, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you or if you want to find the Bible app uh, on your phone, if you want to find uh, Isaiah chapter 25, we can read a few verses from there in a moment or two. Uh, we've been working through the Apostles' Creed over the last uh, few weeks, few months now, I guess. The Apostles' Creed is an ancient statement of belief which really crystallizes uh, in just a couple of paragraphs what it means for us to be followers of Jesus, And we wanted to work through uh, it together in this season to help give a real anchor to our faith in a season of uh, uncertainty and perhaps fear and anxiety. Uh, the Apostles' Creed uh, helps to remind us who God is. And I think when you're reminded of who God is, that gives us a wonderful comfort, wonderful stability. When we put God in the right place, and us in the right place submitted to him, we find a wonderful freedom in that. And I hope you've been finding as we've been walking through this creed that it's strengthened your faith and that in turn has strengthened you through this season. So we've moved on to the next line of the creed today, which is, I believe in Jesus Christ. He descended to the dead on the third day he rose Again, uh, and if uh, whoever you're watching this with, you're 
flatmate or your, your family, if you want to find uh, Isaiah 25, and read together just a few verses, verses 7 to 9 of Isaiah 25, and then maybe you want to pray together in your groups, and then we'll come back together. So why don't you just pause your video now and do that. Okay, welcome back. Normally, uh, in normal, ordinary circumstances uh, in our life, we're, we're pretty much sheltered from, from death. We don't really talk about it that much. Uh, we're all aware, as Mark Twain said, that death is the great leveller, that everyone dies. We know that's to come for all of us. But it's something that's very much an unspoken reality, that we often try to ignore it, perhaps even live in a kind of sense of denial about it. But in recent weeks and months, it very much feels as though death has stepped out of the shadows and we've had to confront it, um, perhaps even personally for some of you. Now, most days we turn on the news on our TVs or on our, on our phones and we read uh, stories, you know, the, 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 the latest tally of the number of deaths in our nation or other nations. We talk about mortality rates and issues like that. And some of you may have had to experience the death of friends or workmates or loved ones in this season because of this coronavirus. And the philosopher Martin Heidegger, he stated that it's the, the awareness of death that sets us apart from other creatures. It's part of what makes us human, is that we're all aware of the possibility, the reality of death for all of us. Heidegger went on to say that all of us, we're, we're beings toward death. That's what it means to be a human, is that all of us are moving towards death. The Roman senator, Seneca, uh, he described life as the shortness of time, that each of us has just a short time, just a breath in the history of eternity. Our lives amount to a mere breath, a mere short time for us to live. All of us face death. And I guess the cynic, maybe you're watching this and you're skeptical about Christianity or you have questions about it, you might argue that Christianity, that belief in, in God, Jesus, or in any God for that matter, is just, it's just another form of denial of death. Uh, that Christianity is, uh, just comes with a, a vague promise of, of eternity, like a fanciful idea. You might say that we're Christians are, are fixated on the question of life after death, whereas the rest of humanity, the rest of the world, are getting on enjoying life before death. But if you read the Bible, this book, you'll discover that it's not fanciful at all. It's not vague. It's wonderfully real. It's not a mystical book of fantasy and absurd ideas. But actually, this book is full of stories rich stories of real people who struggled through difficult circumstances, real pain and struggle, 
who faced death. The Bible talks about death a lot. And in many ways, the way that the Bible talks about our lives is that on this side of death, what we have in some senses is, is like a half-life. And by that I mean that compared to what God's perfect plan for humanity was, his plan for human flourishing, his plan for us to enjoy being with him in perfect unity and community with God forever, and that was broken by sin and rebellion. And ever since, our lives have never come close to the, the promise of life that God had for us. Ever since then, our lives have only been really a half life, half of what life could and should be. And all of us are, in some way or other, we're, we're haunted by this half life, by the shortness of time that we have until we die, but also by the shortness of joy. And we spend our lives trying to fill up the, the, the missing half of our life. And right now, many of us are all experiencing a, a kind of a death of sorts. We're experiencing the death or at least the postponement of dreams and visions and plans and ideas. The good life that we had mapped out for ourselves has, in some cases, perhaps it has died or at least has disappeared far from view causes a grief to emerge within us. We're experiencing a kind of a death in this season as we, as we find all our relationships are now behind a screen. All the things we wanted to achieve feel locked away. That can cause us some pain, discomfort, grief. And you might think, what does an obscure line in an ancient creed, what does that have to do with our lives? What does that have to do with anything I've spoken about in these few minutes? And actually, this part of the creed is perhaps the most debated part of the Apostles' Creed, uh, the most confusing, perhaps. It's certainly probably the most overlooked part of the creed. As Christians, we celebrate, just a few weeks ago, we celebrate Good Friday, we celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but we very rarely talk about Holy Saturday. Uh, the Dutch call it Stille Saturday, as in silent Saturday. We, we, and that's how we treat it. We, we, we don't talk about it. But it's there in the creed, and it's, we find it talked about in Scripture, so it's important we focus on it. And I guess the first question you ask is, where was Jesus after Good Friday and before Easter Sunday in the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. What happened to his body? What happened to his soul in that time? And we know that he, he didn't ascend. He didn't ascend up to heaven to be with his father. We know that because Jesus tells us that himself, that after his resurrection, when he appears to his disciples in John chapter 20, he says very plainly, I have not yet ascended to the father. And if we read on in the story, we find out he later does, and we'll come on to that part of the creed soon. But at this point, he didn't ascend to the Father at, at this point in the story. And we know that he suffered a death like we all do. We've been talking over recent weeks about 
the incarnation, that Jesus was born just like us, that he was born as a baby child, just as we all were, and he suffered a death like we all one day will. His body went into the grave, and his soul entered, I guess what you could call like the domain of the dead. Now, there would be different questions about what that means. Uh, some Catholics would say that perhaps he went to purgatory. Purgatory is a, a term that people would use to talk about a place where someone's soul would go for, for a final purification before they might be allowed into heaven. Now, we don't believe in such a concept, but some people would do. Or in some translations of the Apostles' Creed, they talk about Jesus' soul descending not to the dead, but descending down to, to hell, to this place that, uh, the kind of hell you might imagine in your head, a place of fire and brimstone, a place of eternal torment. But I don't think that's where Jesus went either, because we know if you read in the book of Re Revelation that that hell in that place, that's the kind of the lake of fire that the Bible talks about, it doesn't exist yet, that there will be a time, a second death, where death and Hades are thrown into this lake of fire. And the Bible does talk about, in the, the, the Greek, it talks about Hades, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament of Sheol, of these two words meaning the same thing, like a, a kind of a waiting place for the dead until the new heavens and the new earth are brought into being, a place where the soul goes to, to wait, a place where both the righteous and unrighteous souls go to wait. And what did Jesus do there is probably the next question to ask. Well, it's important to state that Jesus, he didn't go to receive more punishment. In John 19, Jesus declares that it is finished. As he's hanging on the cross, just about to breathe his last breath. That's his declaration. It is finished. That Jesus had triumphed over the death. That he'd taken our place. He'd bore the wrath of God. The punishment for all our sin and rebellion he took upon himself and he paid the price for us and there he declared that it was it was finished so there was no more punishment to go Jesus didn't descend to the dead to to receive more punishment that wasn't what happened it talks in one Peter of him going and proclaiming the good news of his victory he goes to boast of what he's accomplished this great victory that's taken place it talks elsewhere in the Bible of him going to set free the saints of old, of, of the believers, uh, of the patriarchs of Abraham and Noah and Moses and Elijah and the many other believers with them who had already died, that Jesus had gone to, to call them to himself, to set them free from Hades and bring them to be with his father in heaven. But I think perhaps the most striking thing that we learn from this passage, from this idea of Jesus descending to the dead, is that he achieves a final victory over death, and over Hades itself. It says in Revelation, Revelation is this 
beautiful picture of different visions and images that the Apostle John writes uh, and partly made up of an encounter that he has with Jesus. It says in Revelation 1, when I saw him, he means Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. That Jesus now has the keys to these places, that they're completely under his control, under his sovereignty. In the book of Matthew, when Jesus commissions another one of his disciples, Peter, and tells Peter that he's going to be the rock that he's going to build his church upon, he says to Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because Jesus has won this great victory now. And he went down to Hades to proclaim that victory and to take possession of the keys. And now that can give us gives us great confidence as believers. Great confidence as his church, that the Bible tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the plans that God has for his church in this city, all across the world, but in this city today, we can know that not only is God with us, but nothing can stand against us. That although the enemy may try and attack us and undermine us and tempt us and bring us down, that the gates of hell can't prevail against us because Jesus has the keys now that they're under his will, under his authority that the reign of sin and death is over even the darkest of places, even Hades itself is now under his supreme authority because as this creed wonderfully explains, not only did Jesus die he experienced death like we all will. But then he did something that, that uh, is unique to him. That he rose again. He rose again. He defeated death. You see, our half-life, we were talking about earlier, our half-life was actually heading towards a zero life. I don't mean just an end, that we would die and then that would be nothing left to give, so we're down to zero. But I mean the absence of God. If we've been living this kind of half-life, not quite living out the perfection that God had planned for us, that we have a... Without God, our destiny would be a, a zero life. The, the absence of God. Because that's really what, what death is. We think about life and death as the difference between being here and having blood coursing through our veins and death being the end of that, the stop of that. But actually the difference between life and death is having God with us. Without God, what will our lives amount to? Imagine the complete absence of God, the complete darkness of not having his light shining into our world. See, because we might define the good life, the life that we want to live, the life that we dream of living, of, as accumulating more and more 
experiences. You know, people might say, well, you haven't lived until you've done this thing. That you haven't lived until you've had numerous sexual partners, until you've travelled the world, until you've made lots of money. All sorts of different things that define what it is to, to have lived a good life. And not all of those things are bad. But some of them can be very dangerous things. And if we haven't experienced those things, we're often seen as somehow subhuman. If we've not achieved certain milestones in our lives, then we seem to have not really fully lived, some people would like to say. But rather in the Bible, the, the good life, the complete life in the Bible is about filling us up. And it is in a way hedonistic in the same way, but we're filled with God that we're made to delight ourselves in his river of life, to enjoy him forevermore. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 16, which is about Jesus. It says this, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for any more. See, Jesus' soul was not abandoned to Sheol. It wasn't abandoned to Hades. And if you're a follower of Jesus, neither will yours be. This psalm is about Jesus, but as his people, the church, we're all caught up in it as well that our soul won't be abandoned, but also we get to experience fullness, that our half-life becomes a complete full life in the presence of God, that at his right hand, in perfect relationship with our Father in heaven, that's where pleasures forevermore are found. Each one of us has this kind of seed of eternity within inside ourselves. That's why we fear death. That's why we get anxious about it, because something in us actually is made for eternity. But the eternity that you're made for is eternity with God, enjoying him forever, the greatest joy and delight you could ever experience when your life will be fully complete. Hebrews chapter 2 says, though through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, the power of death and sin has been broken now. Death essentially was the final punishment for sin. It was this, this threat hanging over all of our heads that the devil had control of, but that's been broken now, that Jesus has won the victory, that he holds the keys, that death is defeated, that as Christians we can boast in the death of death, that it's died for us. 1 Corinthians 15, quoting that passage you would have read from Isaiah 25 at the start, says, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, 
where is your sting? It's almost like a taunt (laughs) that we can sing out, that we can cry out. When our hearts begin to fear and worry and tremble, we can say, where is your victory, death? Jesus has the victory. Death, where is your sting? It's been gone now because Jesus took the punishment upon himself. See, Jesus died in our place, in your place. So we would never feel the force of what death was intended to be. Death was intended to be an internal separation from a good and loving God because of our sin and rebellion. But now instead, because Jesus died for us and rose again, and we died with him, we also will live with him. We will receive fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Not just in eternity, but right now, as a believer in Jesus, you get to enjoy God, to enjoy his fellowship, his grace poured out for you, his loving kindness that he wants to lavish on your life. So whatever struggle or trial you're walking through, maybe you have known in recent weeks, friends, family members, maybe even who've died because of this virus or because of other reasons. And that's a painful season to walk through. To walk through grief is a, is a hard battle to face. But all of us can know that Jesus is with us, that you have a loving Father who's with you, who's caring for you, and who ultimately has defeated death. For believers in Jesus, we can trust that death is dead to us now, that one day we will raise again with him, that we will get to enjoy being with our heavenly Father forever and ever, and not because of any reward or merit that we've earned, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Because he took the punishment that we deserved. He descended to the dead and proclaimed his victory on Holy Saturday and then rose again on Resurrection Sunday. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you just for your stunning victory. That that's what it means to be followers of Jesus, that we get to follow along this wonderful victory procession. We get to join in with the whoops and the cheers and the shouts and the hollers. And we get to proclaim loudly from the rooftops that you're alive, that you've defeated death, that you've defeated sin, that you've defeated the enemy, that we died with you. And one day we will we will rise again. We will be uh, have our new resurrected bodies. We'll get to live with you in the new heavens and the new earth. We'll get to enjoy pleasures forevermore. Thank you so much for your wonderful gift of your son for us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you make this truth come alive in our hearts today and this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.